The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Bibles, I invite you to open them to the book of Leviticus. We have been making our way through Leviticus as a church together, and we are in Leviticus chapter 11 this morning. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter of Leviticus 11. Again, Leviticus is the third book in the Bible, the Old Testament. Leviticus 11. Let's now give our attention as God speaks to us through His holy and inspired word. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud, among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these, the camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures you that that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the herion of any kind, the hoopoe and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have joint, jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass 
shall be unclean until the evening, and he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether in whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack. Any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten, on which water comes, shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird, and every living creature that moves through the waters, and every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May he be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, our passage today is one such reason that reading Leviticus is difficult for Christians. I'm sure when you come to it, you're not very excited uh, about it when you're going through a Bible reading plan. The details are tedious and hard to keep track of. Wait a minute. Okay, this animal chews the cud, but doesn't have a parted hoof. Is it clean? Is it unclean? I forget. But why put in the effort to even remember to pay attention because these are not laws that we keep today. 
You know, it's one thing to be confused about the, the various tedious laws we have with regards to hunting and fishing regulations. And I'm sure that uh, even with that, it would not be fun to sit and just hear all the instructions read. And yet, because we have to keep them or be penalized, we keep a regulation book in our truck. But what about these? They do not apply to us today. They're laborious. They were probably hard to sit and listen to for the last five minutes. Why are they preserved in God's Word for us as people today? Well, we need to understand all of this in light of the Bible's storyline of redemption in Christ. All things were declared good at first, at the beginning. God beheld all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. But now, God declares some of these things that He had made unclean and even detestable. Something changed. Something happened. This reveals that because of sin, this creation no longer has the full goodness that it once had at the beginning. It is now under a curse. It is now corrupt. And what we are seeing here in Leviticus is a picture of that corruption and that curse. And therefore, the need for a new creation. And so two questions that help us understand the point of the cleanliness laws. The first question is, what's the criteria for clean versus unclean? And this is going to help us to then understand the second question. What are the reasons for having these laws to begin with? So first, what's the criteria? It kind of seems arbitrary. Why are some animals unclean and some animals clean? Well, some have said, well, this is based on health reasons, which has become a popular view in the last 100 years or so. But if that was the case, then why would God abrogate them in the Gospels in the book of Acts? And suddenly, did the healthcare system become better? Well, they have reference to our redemption in Christ. They point to the curse and the removal of that curse. Now, we're not 100% sure on exactly what the criteria is for each, but here are some bases for why some animals are clean and others are not. One is how it relates to the altar. That is the sacrifices that are offered. The animals that can be offered or sacrificed are the bull, the ox, the sheep, and the goat. And since these sacrificial animals part the hoof and are clean because they're sacrificed, other animals like them are clean. So the, the cow, the sheep, and the goat part the hoof. Other animals like them that part the hoof are clean. However, this is not the only criteria. Another criterion includes how they ate. Not only did they have to part the hoof, they also had to chew the cud. Now this is not focused on how they digest the food, but rather how they ate it. If they ate in a violent manner, they were considered unclean. So animals, 
such as predatory animals, whether big game or birds, were considered unclean because they ate with a violent motion or they're associated with violent death. They're predatory or they're eating blood. Around here, when you see a bunch of magpies swarming, you know what that means. There's a carcass or there's a gut pile nearby. These animals had to be herbivores in order to be clean and not eat in a violent manner. So while pigs do not eat meat, they eat in a violent manner, not, not peacefully chewing the cud like a cow or a sheep. A pig eats like a pig. See, only the kids laughed. That's how you know it's a dad joke. Any basis, another basis that seems to be associated with death is the relationship to the ground. So we read in verses 41 through 42, every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly. So if you remember, uh, the serpent was cursed above all the beasts of the field. And how was he cursed? Well, he was to go on his belly. He was to go on the ground that had been cursed and that is now associated with death. Man is now returning to the dust. It's a part of the curse. And so animals that go about in their belly or that have close contact with the ground, dwelling on the ground, are considered unclean. One more apparent criterion is abnormalities. So those winged insects that walk on all fours are considered unclean. They have wings, and yet they walk. And they don't walk with two, but four legs. And so insects that have many legs are also considered unclean. This is different from what is common. And this also applies to sea creatures. Any sea creature that has fins and scales, you may eat. That's common. But anything that breaks away from that is a departure from what is common and therefore is unclean. Now these are not unclean in and of themselves. Rather, God is using these things as an illustration, as a picture. Abnormalities illustrate defects caused by the curse. Think about it. We get wrinkles. We get blemishes. We get molds. We get bald. This is part of living in the curse. And God is using these abnormal features to illustrate this. So for that which constitutes uncleanness, we have three apparent criteria. That which is different from the sacrificial animals of the altar. That which is associated with death in both violently killing its food and eating its food in close contact with the ground. And those that have abnormalities that depart from the most common features. Again, we're not 100% sure on these, but this seems to be the most likely distinguishing features or criteria for distinguishing between clean and unclean. And that means that they are meant to highlight aspects of the curse. Things that do with death, things that do with unholiness, things that are abnormal that point to defects. God is going to separate his people out of this as a picture of redemption. And the way God lays these out is according to the same class of animals that was present in the creation account of Genesis 1. We have creatures of the land. Then we have creatures of the water. And then we have creatures of the air and sky. 
So in verses 3 through 8, we have land creatures. And God distinguishes between clean and unclean here. And then in verses 9 through 12, we have water animals. In verses 13 through 23, we see creatures of the air, birds and insects. Now there's a list of 20 birds or winged creatures, many of which we are not sure on how to translate. One commentator says he believes that the English translators only have about half of them right. But we do know that the delineation is whether or not they are predatory, eat blood, or herbivores. And then we have insects as well in here. Then we come to what to do if one should happen upon a dead creature. Verse 24 says, whoever touches a carcass is unclean until evening. And that means you can't enter the tent of meeting. And verse 25 says, if one carries any part of a carcass, so you find a bone and you decide to carry it in, the, in your, your cloak, well, you're unclean until evening and you have to wash the area in which you carried that part. Verses 29 and following speak of swarming things. If you find a dead mouse or a lizard, you are unclean if you deal with it. And then that area in which that dead animal laid is also unclean. If you find it in a dish or a bowl, it needs to be ceremonially washed or it had to be broken. And this is not sanitary in nature. This is, ceremonially, this is ceremonial in nature. Whether or not you're clean or unclean, has to do with whether or not you could enter into the tent of meeting, whether or not you could come into God's presence. And this is why the cleanliness status even has reference to the seeds for harvest in verses 37 to 38. And then verses 41 through 43 speak of living, swarming things. They are detestable, strongly to be hated. And these have their bodies close to the ground. Their habitat is closely associated with the ground that has been cursed. Therefore, they are unclean. Now, this helps us with the second question in understanding the point of these cleanliness laws. And that is, what are the reasons that God has them? Well, when we see the criteria associated with things of the curse, and God removes His people from this, we see that the point is God is going to remove His people from the realm of the curse. So let me give you four reasons for these laws. The first one is given in verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. So the reason Israel is to keep these is in order to, in order to consecrate them. That is to set them apart unto God distinguish them as holy, set them apart from all defilement in this fallen, sin-cursed world. In this, God is revealing His will for His people, that they are set apart, set apart from all defilement, that they are holy as He Himself is holy. We are to be set apart from the world and be like God in His righteousness, in His holy character. And during this time, these cleanliness laws were one way that God would make a visible distinction and separation for His people from all the earth. But the second reason to keep these laws is their new identity as God's redeemed people. Look at verse 45. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. 
you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So in the previous verse, in verse 44, we see God call His people to be holy, for He is holy. That is the law. The law says you need to do this. You need to be holy because God is holy. But here in verse 45, we have the gospel. Be holy because I have redeemed you out of Egypt, out of your old life. We make a big mistake if we exclude this important reason for why we keep God's law, for why we are holy. This is where much sin comes in. A focus on God's good law apart from a focus on His good news. I brought you out of your old life is good news. It is what God has done. This referred to Israel's redemption, bringing them out of their old life of slavery through the blood of a Passover lamb. And the reason God did this is not merely to bring them out of misery, but to bring them to Himself. He says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Now, God was their God before He did this. He makes that clear. In fact, that's the reason He brought them out. I'm your God. You're my people. I'm going to bring you out. But what God is saying here that He brought them out to be their God is that they would enjoy God. They would know His love, know His salvation, know His presence and delight in it, that they would bask in the presence of His face shining upon them. And so God brought them out of that kingdom of darkness into a life with Him. A life freed from that slavery of that kingdom of darkness. And Israel's physical redemption out of a physical life of slavery from a physical kingdom and a physical pharaoh is a type that points to our spiritual redemption in Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven to be the true and better Moses to lead us out of our old life of slavery and into a new life with Him from a much greater prince, a much greater Pharaoh, the prince of darkness, delivering us out of that kingdom of darkness in order to be in His kingdom, to delight in His presence, to know Him. And He did this through His own blood. Being that Passover Lamb that saves us from the judgment of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ was that Passover Lamb to save us from the wrath of God and to bring us to Himself. That we may know Him. That we may bask in the light of His face. That we may know His favor, acceptance, and goodness, that we may taste and see that He is good, that we would have freedom and forgiveness. And so we need to remember our identity as those who are redeemed, that we are no longer slaves 
that we are sons. We are His beloved children. And brothers and sisters, this is why we are to be holy as He is holy. It is because we have been redeemed from our old life of slavery. And we have been brought into His kingdom, the kingdom of His beloved Son, through His precious blood. It's because He has washed us clean from all the stains of our sin, that we are holy and blameless in His sight. And oh, we may not feel that as we struggle with our sin, as we know the shame from our remaining sin, and we experience the consequences of that. But our identity remains the same for us who are in Christ. And as we grow in our knowledge of our identity, the more we press in and believe in that, that we are not slaves, but sons, washed, redeemed, then we begin to live that out. We begin to be in practice who we are in position, what we are in Christ. This is why we are to be holy. Now this brings a question. We do not walk in this these Levitical cleanliness laws anymore. But this was part of Israel's holiness. Why is that? What's the point of these then? And this brings us to the other two reasons for these cleanliness laws which pertain to redemptive history. The third out of the four that I'm giving here is that this is how God visibly demonstrates how He will redeem His people. Setting them apart from the defilement of this world and the curse. In Genesis 1, God declared every animal good. He beheld all that He had made and behold, all was very good. But here we see Him declare some of them not good and even detestable. Well, this is because man fell into sin. The serpent was cursed above all the beasts of the field. And now the creation groans. We live in a, in a defiled and sin-cursed world. There is a need for a new creation. And God is demonstrating how He's going to do that by distinguishing clean from unclean and having His people participate in only the clean by distinguishing between clean and unclean animals and telling His people to only partake of clean animals, He is making a visible distinction, an illustration between them and all the peoples of the earth. He is going to sanctify them by separating them from all defilement, making them clean, redeeming them as His own people for His own possession. And this is seen in that He distinguishes between animals that have close association with death and abnormalities and showing that He's going to remove His people from this, from all aspects of the curse, from death, from defects, from diseases. And even we are going to see this later on with clean and unclean people and diseases. But by making a visible distinction using clean and unclean animals and later on skin diseases, he is revealing that He is going to make a distinction with His people by rescuing them from this realm and bringing them into a realm where death is no more, where the curse is no more through 
the sacrificial lamb of Christ, our Passover lamb. Now the fourth reason has to do with the fulfillment of the covenant of works. Remember that God made a covenant with Adam where Adam would be blessed with eternal life if he obeyed God under a test, but be cursed with eternal death if he failed. He had to do this and live under a test. And do you, do you remember what that test was? Well, it pertained to the tree of knowing good and evil, from which he was not to eat. Even before the fall of sin, when God declared all things very good, there is one particular tree that he was not to eat from. It was the first sort of unclean law. Don't eat of this or you will die. You will become unclean. It's not that there is actually something inherently wrong with this fruit. Otherwise, it contradicts what God said about everything being very good. Rather, this was like the first unclean law, something that man was not to eat that was testing Adam. Well, we know the rest of the story. Adam failed the test. He ate from the tree and became spiritually unclean and therefore was disqualified from being in God's holy presence, that first temple, the Garden of Eden. And then we see these unclean, clean distinctions magnified with Israel. But this sets things up for Christ, the last Adam, coming and fulfilling that covenant of works. He too was tested by being tempted by the devil regarding eating. Go ahead, eat. But Jesus refused to. His test was much more difficult though. It was not in a lush garden filled with all sorts of good things to eat, but rather the opposite of a garden. In a wasting wilderness where he was hungry. And yet he still passed the test in not eating. And because he fulfilled the test of the covenant of works, these laws were abrogated. It was after this that Jesus declared all things clean in Mark 7, before even going to the cross, because he had fulfilled this test in the covenant of works of not eating. Therefore, there's no longer any need for these laws. And because Christ has completely fulfilled the covenant of works and obtaining life by his perfect tested obedience, we who have trusted in Christ, live. And we live not only because He obeyed perfectly and we get credit for that, but also because He got credit for all our violations of the law and stood condemned in our place. We are freed from a guilty conscience that makes us want to go back to these cleanliness laws to, to even create our own, to deal with a defiled conscience. If I don't do this, if I am distinguished from the world in this physical way, if I don't drink this, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, then I am righteous. But the reason why any of us would be drawn to that is because we still have a defiled conscience. And we're trying to find a way to become clean. But when Christ has done it all for us, that we are clean in Him, then we rely on our identity 
in Him. And we obey God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, not for life, but from life, from the life we have received in Him through His death, burial, and resurrection, thus forever defeating death, forever defeating the curse, forever defeating all defects, which we will fully experience when we come into heaven with a glorified and perfect body. We who are in Christ are partakers of a new creation. We are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so, brothers and sisters, because we are a new creation, because we are not our own, but we're bought with a price, let us be separate from this world and its defilement, knowing the power of the gospel, which is the only cleansing agent to purify our hearts within. Let us be holy as He Himself is holy. Amen. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.